1: Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge
0: game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com.
1: Chantelle Graham is a vegan. But she is a vegan that has a very sensible point of view. I got introduced to Chantelle through a very good friend of ours at Blood Origin, Scott Davis. Thank you, Scott Davis. And just listen to this conversation. It's 45 minutes of two people that have opposing opinions, that have an amazing, amicable discussion. Chantel Graham, I'm a big fan of you. I'm a big fan of your position in life. Um, I'm a big fan of this conversation. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Little Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting.
0: It brings awareness to to non hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start
1: it? Brittany My name, my, name.
0: <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic
1: My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. All right, so what kind of Starbucks coffee are you drinking?
0: Oh. um, some apple something, some new apple. Oh, I
1: tried something. that. That's the apple crisp um, oat milk macchiato. Yeah. You, Honest opinion. You went like
0: this when you said oat Mm-mm.
1: milk. <laughs> so, so no, no, no. I'm a big fan of oat milk. Okay. Don't get me wrong. But you know how you, you go into restaurants or you go into places and you have your thing. Yeah. And I told you before, I'm German. So, like, 5.26 was on time for me for this podcast, right? Five minutes before. (laughs) So, I have just this, like, obsessive nature about me that once I find something that I really like, that's what I'm going to have. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to order, and I don't have to worry about it, and I'm going to order my, you know, my large, grande, whatever that is, caramel macchiato, light on the caramel drizzle at Starbucks, and that's what I have.
0: Caramel macchiato is delicious, so good choice.
1: But I saw that apple uh, crisp and I was like, okay, Robbie, step out of your comfort zone. Let's do this. (laughs) Fail.
0: (laughs) You didn't order the caramel macchiato as a backup just in case. I
1: I should. I took like two sips and I was like,
0: Mm. damn it. Yeah. I think it's good, but I am not that type of person. I am like The let me try everything on the menu. That's why one of the reasons being vegan has been super tough because before I would go into a restaurant and like, I don't know, if chef likes to get creative, have them make something creative that's like off the menu and crazy and weird that they've been wanting to to make or whatever. So my wife and I ended up at this really cool restaurant in Austin one time called Odd Duck. Mm -hmm. And they have the most bizarre menu. And we ended up eating like pig face that was like pureed and – it was inside some little pastry thing. It was delicious. Like ooh, whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa! Like legitimate Like pig, pig face. face.
0: Like they they take the head and they boil mm-hmm. it until mm-hmm. the skin falls off and basically liquefies, and then they t- they take all of that. Chantel, yes. Chantel,
1: you started this conversation saying you're a vegan.
0: No, before I was vegan.
1: Oh, before I okay. was vegan.
0: That's why okay. being vegan is so hard because I like to go into restaurants and just order whatever and have the freedom to like be super adventurous with my food Mm -hmm. and so now it's like i Mm have a hard time doing that i'm not the go in and order the one thing i'm like let me try Mm -hmm. the weirdo apple something or other and it's (laughs) gonna be an experience good bad or different
1: well chantelle Uh, I think everyone knows why I have you on the Blood Origins Podcast, so welcome to the Blood Origins Podcast.
0: Yes, thank you. Glad to be here. We met five
1: minutes ago. I met your beautiful little boy. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for just um, willing to do this. Um, You don't know me from Adam. We have a very good mutual friend, Scott Davis, who has recently gotten into hunting, and uh, he's been a huge supporter of ours, and I think he's received a lot of Information about the lifestyle, about the benefits and the consequences of the action through what we do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he said, man, I've got a very good vegan friend that you should have a good conversation with. And I was like, man, I'd love to have that conversation because those are the kinds of conversations that we need to be having
0: yeah. as hunters.
1: We shouldn't have this divisiveness. And I don't see it as a divisiveness, but hey.
0: I mean, I don't either. And I'm not, you know, I'm not one to like speak for all vegans. I think I'm probably one of the... Um Less, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like on the activist side, but I'm also not completely silent and don't talk about it at all. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. But I'm, I'm definitely not overly aggressive. I've seen some very aggressive vegans and some very angry vegans and some very hateful vegans, and that's just not the kind of energy I, I like to have in my life. So I, I kind of stay more neutral and more positive. And if I can add education to any type of forum for anybody, then I'm happy to do that in a positive mm-hmm. way. But um, yeah, not, not really one for, for being divisive. And, you Why know. do you
1: think vegans have that? It's almost the same thing as hunters, right? We have this, there's this mantra around us, this moniker that if someone hears you're a vegan, Automatically, they think of the extremists, like animal rights, <laughs> pouring paint on people. And yes. then on the hunter's side, they think, oh, they're these, um, they have this, on the hunter side, they all those like, you're just killers and you don't care for animals. And yeah. And you just enjoy the bloodlust of.
0: Right. Yeah. I don't know why, why the views are so polarized. There's, there is, there are definitely those extremists in both categories, but I think, you know, the people that aren't extremists are kind of boring to the general population. You know, they don't, they don't incite a lot of like Intense emotions. So it's not something that people are super drawn to. I think that's, it's just not that exciting to be like, yeah, I'm vegan and I'm also friends with a bunch of hunters. And, you know, I used to eat meat and I don't have a problem with people who eat meat. It's just not my personal choice, you know? That's not as exciting as, you know, rah, 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 hunters are all going to burn in hell and vegan is the way to go. And how dare you eat an egg, you know?
1: (laughs) How do we not make it boring? That is the question (laughs) of the hour, man. It's just, like to me that's and I guess it's just I don't know I guess it's just your sphere of influence as you just grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger I guess more and more people gravitate around what you're saying and how you're saying it. Yeah. So
0: Yeah and I um I did a the minimal amount of due diligence. I intended to do a lot more before um this podcast because I was thinking, you know, I want to be
1: Did you Google stalk me?
0: (laughs) I read your website, um, but I I wanted to come with an informed perspective. And so I was like, maybe I should just kind of brush up on, you know, the stats around, um, you know, the environment and uh, the population of animals and some stats that maybe I don't know about, like, Mm. the hunting world and how much is conservation land versus how much is, you know, used as, like, game land or whatever. And then I thought (laughs) – you know, I, I don't think that's really what you're going for. I mean, people can Google the different stats that they, you know, want to educate themselves on. But for me, I just sort of wanted to know where you were coming from. So I think that's where I just stopped my due mm. diligence journey. I was like, I'm I'm just gonna read your website and sort of see what resonates and sort of what talking points I might be able to glean from your perspective and your words that you have on, you know, the main page sort of introducing blood origins and Um, I think for me, you know, you talked about the, um, sort of innate, like hunger and drive and, and this like voice inside of you that you, you can't quiet and you hear that Mm -hmm. sort of like reaching out to you and asking for you to, you know, take action and, and do these things and go Mm -hmm. into the wild and be one with nature, which I, like, Mm -hmm. I love all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, that resonated with me, but the, the piece that I think I, I, there's a gap for me was, sure. you know, that it's, and then you find this animal and you hunt it. And for me, I just, I think animals are just like the most beautiful creatures in all forms and the lines that are drawn between what we can hunt versus what we eat versus what we find to be pets. And I say hunt is in like trophies versus what we hunt to be, you know, food. Mm-hmm. And then the pets is, I feel those lines are so arbitrary and like, they're all like sentient creatures and they all have these like feelings and emotions. And so for me, like the, the whole going vegan thing, like just to back up a little bit, I went vegan in 2018 when I watched What the Health, the documentary on Netflix. And I just... Wasn't pl- I had just gone grocery shopping that day. I bought all my chicken breasts and ground turkey and all the things. And, you know, I had eggs every single morning with cheese and um, on a crumpet because I'm Canadian and that's what we do. And, um, <laughs> you know, I had, you know, milk in my tea at nighttime and I was very meat dairy based. I was never a super big red meat person, but I mean, I had all the white, you know, the white meat and the other white meat in my Mm -hmm. diet every single day. Mm -hmm. And, um, I watched that documentary and I was like, man, that really sucks. I have to throw out all those groceries or give them away because I just (laughs) cold Turkey. It was like a light bulb that went off for me. And it wasn't the hell. I've always sort of been a healthy person and health conscious. Um, so it wasn't necessarily that, I mean, there's some sort of interesting points around the research of, going vegan and what it can do for some people. For me, I had high cholesterol for the first time in my life. I went vegan and it dropped Mm -hmm. somewhere between 40 and 60 points between my Mm -hmm. two appointments a couple of months apart. And um, the high cholesterol thing was crazy because I've always been an athlete and, and the nurse calls and she's like, you have high cholesterol. I'm like, um okay, that's interesting. What do I, what, what do I do about that? She's like, well, stop eating fried food. I was like, I don't eat fried food. She's like, well, then Mm. I I don't know. (laughs) So it turns out it was just the, you know, I was consuming a lot of eggs in my diet. And so that, that was the small health piece for me. But for me, the, for the majority of what resonated with me, it was the animal piece. Like these creatures that are, you know, they have all of these emotions. They feel like fear and, loss and connection and sadness. And they, they have, um, especially like pigs and like octopus who have like eight brains and, and all sorts of amazing creatures that are like way smarter than dogs and cats, which we for some reason have, you know, on this pedestal, which I love dogs and cats too. Um, I have them myself, but, um, it it was just interesting for me seeing this new perspective of like all of these creatures sort of should be put on an even playing field and sort of respected for the life that they have and and we shouldn't be the ones to decide that that life can be taken by us, you know? So yeah. it wasn't, you know, there's some environmental factors. I think like veganism has like these three prongs that everybody uh-huh. sort of attaches to one or, you know, all of them, I guess, but in a, in some type of priority. And so there's the environment and there's the animals uh-huh. and there's the health aspect. And for uh-huh. me, I think it's just the animals, which is why, the hunting is an interesting conversation because mm. i think that there's a way to hunt you know i, I would say killing an animal respectfully or humanely I, I i love that people try really hard to to respect the animals and do it the proper way that's not going to cause a lot of um you know Pain or it's going to be you know quick death and sure, all of that. I think sure. that's the optimal way to do it if you're gonna do it. Um, but I don't see the need to do it, I guess. so that's the part of your website that I was like, I just I don't feel that mm. draw for me. Mm. it's not it's not there. No one in my family are hunters either. so that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the other side is that's that's not what I grew up around, and that's what you were exposed mm. to as a child. So you know, growing up in Canada, not a lot of people are are big hunters. you know, if I had a grown up <laughs> here in Texas, sorry. Where I live, um now, I mean maybe maybe I would have a different perspective, you yeah, know. Yeah, and my yeah. family I probably have a family full of hunters, but um you know, in uh, oh hi baby, thank my you. Dad, beautiful. Oh, <gasps> mommy's on a call right now. Do you wanna say hi really quickly? Hi. Hang on. Oh hi. Say hi.
1: Hello, hello, hello.
0: This is Mayori. Yes, that's right. Hey Maiori. Okay. go go hang out with granny and, and my mom and baby D in the backyard. Okay, babe, I'll be out there in a minute. (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's the other one. Um, so yeah, I, um, I think my perspective would be different if my upbringing was different, but also, you know, in, um, in Canada hunting is very different than it is here. It's more the style that, that Scott sort of does where, um, where Scott Davis, who introduced us where you go out, And you're in the wild, sort of, just completely, like, engrossed in the habitat of whatever creature you're trying to hunt. And, you know, you have a bow and arrow or you have whatever type of, you know, tool in order to – some people hunt with guns up there, too. Um, But I think that that's more natural and more primal and more respectable than the way that I've seen a lot of people down in Texas do it with the deer feeders you know and you I, that's that's just cruel in my opinion that's the type of hunting that I I I don't think is is right if I were to sure. you know be the person to judge it um I I just think that that's like it's kind of cheating you know like you sit up in a deer blind and you no, feed it could be that and, way absolutely <laughs> and then you know yeah. The deer come who think that they're going to get fed and you shoot it. I mean, I don't know. It just, it seems like I don't see where the challenge or the game is or the, you know, I, I just, I don't see the, I don't see the appeal of that particular type of hunting.
1: So, um, yes, you're absolutely right. In certain circles in the hunting community, people would consider using the use of feeders and, you know, big fenced areas as quasi not fair chase and i use fair chase rather than cheating right that you're not being sportsman like and so what you were describing vast open areas spot and stalk essentially fair chase is what we call it that mm-hmm. the animal has almost has more advantage than you and a lot of people are like well you've got high powered weapons and you've got bow and arrows that shoot like so fast you guys that's even cheating, right? right? You should go back to using a spear or a knife. And I'm like, number one, no, because then you're just inflicting pain <laughs> yeah. on animals, and we don't want that. We Just like you said, we love wildlife. We love animals. Yes. And hunters want to see more of it. And here's the, here's the paradox, right? Is We kill animals, yes, but we actually want more of them. And by killing animals from a biological perspective and from an economics perspective in certain parts of the world, it results in more animals.
0: Okay. And
1: that's what we want. We want more animals, but we also don't want too many animals because to your point of environment, health, and animals, if you have too many animals on a landscape and you've got to think of it like this, human fingerprints are on every single landscape all over the world, that we have a due diligence to ourselves to be able to make sure that the animal population stays healthy. If we say we cannot intervene, Intervene either through population control, through hunting, culling, translocation, maybe trying some crazy ideas like contraceptions or whatnot. Um, Then Mother Nature takes over. Right. When Mother Nature takes over, it's a boom and bust type cycle in which Mother Nature is very, she's not particularly nice. Right, she's pretty cruel. She's pretty violent. Uh, she's pretty painful in her death, in terms of d- d- doling out death to to animals. From a hunting perspective, I think what we, I think what we want at all times is the most ethical, most painless, most least suffering death that we can impart onto that animal. Right. And that's why it's. Scott practices hours and hours and hours and hours. People go to the, the shooting range and practice hours and spend hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. For what reason? Like, if, you, if we think about it, like, why are the hunters practicing? Why do they even practice?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably multiple reasons, right? A, you know, they don't want to they don't want to miss and inflict unnecessary pain on the animal, but it's probably also a point of pride that you can aim, shoot, kill exactly the way that you intended to.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I'll say this, and you can ask Scott this and pretty much all hunters, I would say most hunt, all hunters that value life. Okay. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to petty foot around here and say that there's not hunters out there that just like to kill things okay it's just like you in certain lifestyles certain vegans like to do certain things that you don't agree with same thing in hunting right Right. there's certain things that we don't like that we don't agree with but most hunters there's an inherent sadness to that death and someone like you know someone that's on the opposite side of the coin was like well why did it have to happen then right why are you sad you caused that right why are you And it comes back to that understanding of like, when I said to you, when you asked me, like, I didn't see the connection of the, of the draw, you know, coming back to the sadness that's inherent to us taking the life of an animal and someone would say, well, why did you have to do that? And I think there's multiple reasons. Number one, one of the reasons could be population control, like I've mentioned. That, for instance, I'll use an example that I used on another podcast. In England, there's a deer, it's an invasive deer. It got brought into England in the 1600s, but you wouldn't really consider it invasive today. It's really a part of the landscape. It's called the Chinese water deer. And they are literally eating themselves out of house and home. And so I actually podcasted with a vegan out of the UK, and she went hunting. And she shot a Chinese water deer. And I said to her, she goes, I said, why could you do that as a vegan?
0: Right.
1: And she said, because as a vegan, I want my f- number one priority is animal health, mm-hmm. animal welfare. Mm-hmm. And I knew by taking one of those animals out, I was actually improving the animal welfare for hundreds. Hmm. I was like, wow.
0: Yeah.
1: Interesting, really interesting perspective. And then two, I said, okay, here's, an, here's the next question. Could you eat that meat? Because it actually yeah. fit with the ethical boundaries within what you said veganism was. Right. And she did.
0: Hmm.
1: So, so population control is one of the things that, like you, that, we, that we would take a life on. Number two, it would be, you mentioned trophy hunting, right? Trophy hunting is this, uh, has this moniker around it. Um, I prefer to use the term conservation hunting instead of trophy hunting. No hunter says I'm going trophy hunting. It's something that's been used against us.
0: I don't know. So I, I use that from the perspective of my very good friend of mine's father goes mm-hmm. to Africa, and I believe yep. he said that phrase. I believe that's what he called it. I'm going trophy hunting in Africa because he would have he has an elephant on his sure. wall, a tiger. Sure
1: no tigers in africa
0: um some type of wildcat um leopard
1: a leopard probably. maybe it was a
0: leopard i've mm-hmm. something like that um big cat and then like all all sorts of other i don't even know what they are on his wall and i th- i think that's what he called it was trophy hunting so i didn't i don't know if that i didn't know that that was a derogatory phrase but i think
1: it's very much used against us from the the anti hunting community Because to your friend's father's point, and here's the truth, okay? He probably didn't go trophy hunting, but he was hunting for the biggest animal he could possibly find whilst he was on safari. And when he took that animal, he brought the horns home and he brought the skin home and he had some sort of taxidermy that put that animal on the wall. Right. Okay? I say conservation hunting. Because when people go to Africa or they go to Pakistan for the mark or they go somewhere else, from a, from a conservation perspective, going back to what I said before, right, hunters want more wildlife on the landscape. We want healthy wildlife on the landscape. So which if you were going to hunt, and hunting was this, this land use mechanism that paid for itself, paid for the health of the environment, health of the habitat, which is fundamental, and provided jobs and provided economies and provided a sustainable wildlife population, which which is all true. Mm -hmm. Now, again, there's outliers. There's there's people that just don't care for those kinds of stuff. But for the vast majority, that's the truth. Which animal would you want to take constantly that would have a negligible effect on the population as a whole. It's the old male. It's the old guy. (laughs) Take him out. Because he's done what his job is. Right. He's procreated. He's passed his genes on. He's fought for territory. He's protected females. He's protected cubs.
0: I think from that perspective, that makes a lot of sense as far as
1: and that's why they've got trophies right because right, they're right big.
0: and, and they're old all i've heard when people talk about hunting these big bucks is like oh man i saw a 20 pointer you know whatever it's like yeah that's great um <laughs> <laughs> and and it's more of a point of you know they're they're proud that they were able to kill something that had such and such points on it or whatever but when you I don't even know if some of the people that I've heard say that know why they're going for, for the high sure. point bucks, you know? For them, They'd it's probably, just like, oh, I got 20 and my buddies only could get 16, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. I think a lot of people are in the hunting community are prideful when they, when they kill something big. Yeah. Because okay? that's a, a status symbol of sorts. But when you break it down from an educational perspective, really what you've done is that older... That older generation animal, that older buck, is a really wily guy. He's been chased for five, six years already, you know, and he's evaded everyone. So if you can, you can turn the tables on him in that spot and stalk, sort of fair chase type scenario, think about it, right? Humans, our eyesight, terrible in comparison to animals. <laughs> right. Our nose, terrible right. in comparison to animals. Our hearing, Terrible. right our endurance our strength to go up and down mountains horrendous
0: for all intents and purposes they should be hunting us
1: (laughs) and they know the land as well right every single bloody advantage is in their court so that's why it's called hunting because and it's not called killing because hunting has elements of chase and seek and failure right built into it and i think unfortunately the hunting community has painted ourselves into a corner over the last 20 to 30 years because literally all you see is success.
0: Hmm.
1: All you see is success and huge trophies.
0: Well, no one people... brags about their hunting trip where they weren't able to kill anything. <laughs> you don't see nope. any Facebook pictures with people just standing there with their gun, like sad face.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have done that many times. I have tagged, I have, it's called eating tag soup in that I bought a tag. And I came home with the tag and I didn't wrap that tag on anything. Wow. So, yeah, I think there's, and then let me ask ask one last thing in terms of the draw. Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Pakistan, Kyrgyzstan, people go to these places. It's almost because of the adventure Mm -hmm. to go do that. And a lot of people would say, well... You can you can still you could do that without taking a gun. There's, there's one small difference, is that if you went to a place without a gun, you really, the way that I ex, I can explain it is you're really moving through the land, the the place very very quickly. You typically I want to see this 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 I want to see this. When you go like to a place like if you right. went to Pakistan, when you go there to hunt, you're going for one specific purpose, is to get the oldest biggest male you possibly can of that species that you're hunting right there
0: Mm
1: -hmm. but you're also immersing yourself into that landscape for 10 days 20 days you're getting to know the people the cultures you're sleeping in terrible conditions um and really that's the that's the thing that i think is more of a an itch that these guys need to scratch then then the kill the kill almost becomes anticlimactic um
0: why do you think it's it is such a male-dominated sport and Mm. there aren't so like you even mentioned that's why that's what the man great question you know i why don't you see more women hunting and having this like hunger and you know this draw to to nature and to do women
1: hunters are the largest growing demographic of hunters in the last two years in america Hmm. they occupy now i think like 20 to 25 percent of all hunters are, are women if you look at maine over the covid pandemic maine increased the number of hunters in one year more than they did the five years prior
0: why during the pandemic
1: Because you couldn't find food, people were sitting at home trying to think about job security, home security. How do I feed my kids? And especially from a woman's perspective, I could see like, oh, I'm I'm the homekeeper. I'm gonna go fish now. I'm gonna go kill a turkey. I'm gonna go kill a deer because I know I can. Right. And I can stock my freezer full. Right. And nobody, I don't need to worry about anybody around me. I don't have to worry about not having anything in the grocery store because I've got my own.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that type of like innate desire to provide for your family and to make sure that your children are taken care of, I 100% can identify with that. If I needed to go out and kill an animal to feed my family, I would absolutely do that. And, and to answer your second question for that vegan hunter from the UK, I would eat the animal as well. You know, myself, Mm -hmm. my two kids are vegan as well. Um, they, they don't know any different. That's just how Mm -hmm. we've, we've raised them. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think I mean, I think I am supportive uh, in my own family of like a sense of balance. So if my kids, you know, decide that they want to eat chicken nuggets or, you know, something like that, then I, I want them to be educated on where is that coming from? And like factory farming, for example, is something that like I... Absolutely, think is just disgusting and atrocious, mm. and that's like not even on the topic that we're talking about. But as far as mm. veganism goes, like that piece of it is like a non-negotiable, absolutely not acceptable from any moral code. And I think mm-hmm. if more people knew what was what factory farming looked like or what the dairy industry looked like, I, I don't. I think a lot of people would probably be not would not be eating food from. Or a uh, lot of people
1: would turn to hunting.
0: Uh, right. So I have some friends that, you know, have asked me, well, if your family comes over and I killed, you know, a bunch of quail, would you be willing to let your kids eat that? Um, would you be willing to eat that? Cause one of my friends is a big hunter up, um, in Austin and he, you know, travels a lot and does a lot of hunting. And we, right before we went vegan, he hosted a big party where he had gone hunting, had a bunch of quail and he prepared them in three different, beautiful, delicious dishes, um, and it was an amazing experience and he was very proud. He was able to feed, you know, his big group of friends with this, you know, all this kill that he had done himself. Um, he and a, a couple of friends and, um, you know, I, I struggled with that question a bit because I do, I think that balance is so important and I think that you can't mm-hmm. be so black and white about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, with my kids being so young, I, I feel like black and white for simplicity's sake and for their sake of understanding is easier.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But when they get older and we can start having those, those more in-depth conversations about, you know, animals where they, you know, where food comes from and what type of, you know, way this animal was killed and whether it was, you know, respectable and they were in their wild, in their own habitat, or they were in some, you know, farm in a cage for their whole lives or whatever. And they can sort of grasp that concept. I think you know, being flexible and, and, um, more reasonable on that is the direction I'm probably going to go. So to say I'm like this, you know, stark vegan, that's 100% never going to feed my children meat. I'm never going to eat meat again, I think, um, is unreasonable because I don't know what the future holds and if I'm going to need to feed them meat. And I also don't know how I feel if, you know, if the birds or whatever animal were killed in a really respectable way, if I would be like okay well, that's different from and you know like you were saying the right. benefits of population control and and it is vicious when you see uh, a group of animals that are overpopulated and the way that they end up dying through starvation or through mm-hmm. you know fights of the two biggest males and it's like gruesome and disgusting and it's like, yeah a arrow to the heart would have been a lot better way to go for that poor mm-hmm. old guy um, mm-hmm. so you know I'm I feel like I I see both sides. Very clearly. And I don't think that, I don't think that all, you know, before this conversation, I didn't think that all hunting was, was bad and terrible and nobody should do it. Mm. I think people need to do what they need to do, what they feel, you know, is, you know, calling to them and be true to themselves and, and who they, you know, if they have an inner hunter, then they need to go and do that. If my son grows up, you know, with his uncle, Charlie is the person that, you know, does the quail hunting and stuff. if He grows up with his uncle, Charlie and wants to go hunting and wants to bring home, you know, the quail that he killed. That's great. You know, if that's who he is right. and that's what he wants to do. Uh, but I think even through this conversation, I, I feel more enlightened to the benefits of, of, hunting because one of the things that I have heard before that you mentioned is this population control. Yeah. And for me I I've always sort of felt like okay, there's a there's an element of population control that we have responsibility for today but the reason that that scenario is true today is because because we've taken over yeah yeah, all of their habitat so for sure is that fair for us to say well now we need to kill a bunch of these guys because we've taken their land and now they don't have enough land and they don't have enough food so um i've always sort of felt like that was that was i think we even have a
1: greater stewardship because of that
0: well one of the things that i think would would maybe add more balance would be to give back some of that habitat. And this is dreaming. It's probably never going to happen. But if we could like, there's so much land that we take over with just cattle and like food for cattle that were, you know, there's chunks of the rainforest that, you know, gone every year. Right. Cause it's mm-hmm. being used mm-hmm. for palm oil and, you know, feed for cattle and whatever whatever else and it's like do we really need more hamburgers in the world or could we just leave some of that leave some of the habitat that we're destroying or try and rebuild it so that we don't have to do so much population control because these you know the numbers of these animals has you know from what i know and you can educate me on this if i'm if i'm wrong but from what i know these populations have pretty much just decreased since our like global population has expanded
1: so, you prepared to be your mind blown?
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Okay, so if we re- re- if we rewound the clock to like 1900s, 1890s in the US, wildlife populations were being massacred, yeah. decimated, left, right, and center for a market-driven society. Okay. For hides, for bison. Mm-hmm. And pretty much for food, for the railways, for cities, it was just like, take them out. Doesn't matter what they are. Mm -hmm. Male, female, young, doesn't matter. Take them out. Yeah. Since the 1900s, obviously regulations, laws have been put in place. Regulations have been put in place. Um, Certain federal regulations have been put in place called Pittman-Robertson, which is a federal excise tax on gun owners and hunting apparel. That 11% of that money goes back to the treasury. And then goes back to the states for all the wildlife conservation work that you see happening in every state. So Texas, like 70% of the money coming into Texas comes from Pittman Robertson that funds state parks, keeping state parks up and running, fish hatcheries, um, sports fish no, not sorry, fish and sports is Dingle Johnson, but anything tied with wildlife management areas, building upkeep, trail maintenance, all of that comes from that Pittman Robertson typically. Um, and all of those, all of that funding has resulted in a lot of things. Elk have rebounded. Antelope rebounded. You name it, that wildlife species has rebounded. White-tailed deer, the most prevalent species in America, was at 300,000 deer in the 1910s. We're at like 26 wow. million. We're at 26 million today.
0: Wow. Okay,
1: same thing in Africa. 1970s, wildlife, the typical wildlife that you know, lions, leopards, elephants, rhinos, buffalo. Plains game. about 500,000 head of wildlife in the 1970s because agriculture was the most dominant land use in South Africa. So all the land was being used for agriculture and for sheep and for cattle. And wildlife were seen as competition for the right. food and the resources. Right. Well, it went through a significant drought period and they realized that as a result of certain activities like hunting, wildlife actually had more value than cattle and sheep. Oh, Why why have we got cattle and sheep on the landscape? Let's put more wildlife on the landscape. Let's keep more wildlife around. Today, South Africa has almost 22 million head of wildlife. Wow. Okay. Across the entire plain of Africa, uh, this is the statistic that I love to use. People that say, ah, ban trophy hunting. We hate trophy hunting. It needs to go. I'm like, okay, no problems. We'll get rid of it. However. Trophy hunting right now protects 1.5 million square kilometers of habitat. That's 11% of the African continent. Wow. That is double all of the national parks and reserves in Africa put together. So, okay, you hate the – and here's the crux of the matter, Chantel. You hate the fact that there's a motivation of an individual who's going to Africa to kill something. Mm -hmm. I get it, right? I cannot change people's motivations. Your friend's father is not going to Africa to hunt for conservation. Right. He's not. However, the action of him going is indirectly conservation.
0: So you're saying the $30,000 or whatever he pays to kill an elephant, what, 11%? Of that? No, is going- that's
1: in here in America. Oh. In, in South Af- in Africa, it varies depending on the country, right? Okay. If, you're, if he's hunting an elephant in Namibia, 100% of that money goes back to the community. Wow. And now you'd say, okay, community, do you like elephant hunting or you don't? They're like, hell yeah, we like it. <laughs> right. Here's why. We like it because of money.
0: Right.
1: We like it because of jobs. We like it because that elephant was taking out all of our crops. That we were going to use for all your, kill, you know, tearing up the pipes for the boreholes, right? And lastly, do you know how much protein, how much meat that fed yeah. everyone in the community? I'm sure. Nothing goes to waste in Africa. That's the thing. I do I'm fighting on, with someone on social media right now, today. They're like, oh, it's all canned hunting in South Africa. I said, okay, yes, let's be honest. There are canned hunts. And Hand there are hunts
0: meaning you're just like basically set up your elephants a mile this way and you just
1: oh no it wouldn't be for elephant elephant that, that you can't really can a hunt for an elephant but rather like the big the big contentious one is lions right so you have these captive breeding facilities in Africa mm-hmm. that once a lion gets and it's part of it's here's the here's the sort of the weirdness of it that there will be vegans animal rights activists that like to go to South Africa and go to the lion park and pet lion cubs.
0: I know there's such a, Oh, that's such a, isn't
1: that hypocritical? Yes. Right. Yes. And so when those lion cubs get too big, where do you think they need to go? They get bought. And this is where the problem is. They get bought and they get put out in a place in not a pen, but right. it's a thousand acres or whatever. Right. And a hunter comes in and he hunts it right. and shoots it and kills it. So, yes, those things happen. And there are people that like to do it. But again, very small minority that is not a, a, a broad brushstroke across the entire community.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, it even bothers me that, these, that anything is bred in kept captivity. Because regardless of how lavish your accommodations are for the wildlife that's in captivity... It's still in captivity. Like it's not getting to roam. It's I f- I forget how many miles per day a cougar will roam, but it's you know we're, they're having issues with cougars or pumas.
1: Same. In,
0: in okay, interesting. <laughs> um, Mountain in lions, cougars, yeah. uh,
1: pumas, same, same sort of. Okay, mm-hmm.
0: so in California, they're attacking cyclists that are you know just sort of in in very very um, well traveled paths i wouldn't say it's like urban but it's not rural it's you know it's it's Mm -hmm. lots of people Mm -hmm. are on these paths every day Mm -hmm. and they're having to go in and kill these big cats because they're attacking bikers and they're vicious and you know they're human
1: wildlife conflict
0: yes so i mean i i hate that we're encroaching on their wildlife or their habitat so much that they're having to attack humans because it's not even in their nature to to do Mm -hmm. that but but a mountain lion will roam like it's like 80 miles or a hundred square miles or some some crazy number sure, every day. Sure. You can't give that to a big cat in captivity. It's not, I, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not, they're mm-hmm. not in captivity then if that's, you know, their range mm-hmm. to roam. So, you know, it, it bothers me too, that an animal, although the money for that lion is going to go back and do lots of good things, that lion never really knows a real life because it was bred in captivity. And then it was let, loose in a larger captivity just to be hunted by somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, would it be better off not ever being born? M- maybe. <laughs> I mm-hmm. just it's that that type of hunting is hard for me too. But it's mm-hmm. it's great that there's an upside that mm-hmm. all of that money is going back to the community and the community has jobs and they get food from it and all of those things. But I just I don't love that yeah, they're they... even in captivity to begin with.
1: Yeah, they, look, there's there's rotten apples. In any community, any lifestyle, you know, s- baseball players that take steroids, right? There's, <laughs> it's a bad mark on baseball players. Yeah. It's the same situation here in the hunting community. And so we just try to, we try and talk about like these bigger picture things yeah. around what the action is. It's funny you mentioned California. California banned mountain lion hunting in like 74, I believe. Uh, no, no, 94. 94, sorry.
0: Oh, pretty recent.
1: And, um, Interestingly enough, the amount of animals, like you said, that are being uh, killed through depredation now, right. human wildlife conflict or agricultural conflict, right small these, you can imagine California is now rife with these small mom and pop farms everywhere that have their, their cow and their goats and their chicken and their, their pig and they're raising them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There's more lion, mountain lions killed today than there were- When they were hunting when, them legally? When they were hunting them legally. And wow. the, the other key thing here is, not more, probably about even, I'll be probably about the same. But what's interesting here is the scenario is that the taxpayer is paying someone to hunt those, depredate those lions, where, and as the scenario before, hunters were paying the government. So there was a revenue source coming into the state. Right. For wildlife. Right. So
0: rather than it costing taxpayers their taxpayer dollars to hunt the same lion. So lion. And,
1: and it's just it's just a blind um, you know, that that's not talked about, right? The depredation side of things is never talked about. Yeah. Because yay, champion, we got rid of lion mountain lion hunting. It's like, well, yeah, you did, but it's still happening. They're still dying. Yeah. There's still issues. There are just
0: other victims involved now. <laughs> yeah
1: exactly exactly well look i am i know you've got family downstairs you've got probably kids banging on the door you've been very gracious with your time i really 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 appreciate you chantelle yeah yeah, i hope one day um if i come through houston or are you in houston or austin
0: i am in houston right now but we are moving at the end of the month back to austin
1: well if i ever come through there i'll I'll sure to look you up and
0: Definitely. Uh, maybe we can
1: do another conversation face to face.
0: Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. Yeah, it was great chatting with you. I'm so glad Scott connected us. And thanks for just being willing to have a conversation with somebody with a different perspective, just and educating me and getting educated on my perspective. It's been really nice having <laughs> having a two-way conversation where we're both respectful of each other's <laughs> sort of viewpoints, even though they're well, so different.
1: Well, again, I think the thing is if 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 you had to say and maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll say if I chose to be a meat eater, and I have chosen to become a meat eater, to be a meat eater, I can't think of a more veganistic way. It may sound weird, veganistic <laughs> way to eat meat. Yeah. In that I know exactly how the animal lived, where it lived. I know everything about it. Probably sometimes I've I've seen that animal for three, four, five years. I know who killed it. I know how it died. I know who processed it and I know how long it took to get into my freezer. Right. So I know everything about the animal. Right. Which I think if we want to eat meat and the regenerative agriculture world is getting close to that too. So
0: yeah. Yeah. I I hear babies screaming. If there's (laughs) there's a a day I'm going to come back and eat meat, it's going to be, you know, the meat that comes from somebody like yourself that hunted it yourself. So I know the whole story. I know it was killed as quickly and painlessly as possible. And, you know, that's, that's, I just, I wish everybody that hunted was as respectful of the animals and, and uh, Mm -hmm. preservation as you are.
1: Well, if you do decide to eat meat one day, I will find a Michelin star chef (laughs) and we will cook venison that we know exactly (laughs) it is and we'll square it away. Sounds great. (laughs) All right, Chantel, thanks.
0: Thanks, Ravi. Take care.
1: Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening as always.